Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. The former officer regulations of 2017 mean that those officers who choose to give notice to resign or retire following an allegation that amounts to gross misconduct will remain subject to the conduct regulations and the complaint regulations. This allows misconduct investigations and proceedings that could have led to dismissal to be taken to their conclusion, notwithstanding the departure of the officer. I'm Daniel Burke from 3D Solicitors and delighted to be joined today by Jerry Boyle, Queen's Counsel from Sergeants in Chambers, to discuss this. Jerry, these changes came into force on the 15th of December 2017 and have made a number of important changes to the police misconduct procedures. The first question is, what are the former officer regulations and how did they come about? Well, Daniel, the first point to make is that the former officer regulations are not, in fact, called the former officer regulations. The regulations which govern the process, which allows some former officers in some cases to be disciplined, even though they are no longer serving officers, are actually called the Police Conduct, Complaints and Misconduct and Appeals Tribunal Amendment Regulations of 2017. Mm. Bit of a mouthful, something of an understatement. Given that's what they're called, it's perhaps not surprising that everybody refers to them as the former officer regulations. The background to their introduction actually goes back a number of years. Historically, police officers who were facing misconduct proceedings used to be able to simply resign or retire before their misconduct hearing could take place. If they did so, there would simply be no hearing. The complainant's case would not, indeed could not, be heard because the disciplinary panels only had jurisdiction over serving officers. And if they've retired or resigned, then effectively there was no one left to discipline. By 2013, there was increasing public disquiet about the fact that officers could just leave when it was revealed that a number of officers involved in the Hillsborough disaster had retired or resigned and could not face misconduct proceedings. And at that time, the then Home Secretary, Theresa May, pledged she would introduce measures that would ensure disciplinary hearings against former officers could be pursued. And that's when we all anticipated that these regulations would actually come into being. Yes. She made a firm commitment to achieve that, put it before Parliament and enact legislation so that we could leave the old regulations behind. Actually, she didn't quite manage it. Perhaps something of a foretaste of things Things to to come. come, And what she settled upon instead was an amendment to the existing legislation, which was to introduce what became known as Regulation 10A. And effectively, that amounted to this, that if you were subject to misconduct investigation, you could no longer resign or retire without the consent of the appropriate authority, save in certain exceptional cases. Now, superficially, that seemed like a bright idea. But then along came austerity. And the effect of Regulation 10A started to hit some police forces in the pocket because what it meant was that the force were obliged to continue to pay officers their full pay for the duration of the misconduct process 
Effectively, it amounted to using public money to pay police officers not to be at work through lengthy investigations in cases even where officers themselves wanted to resign and retire. And indeed, there was quite a famous judicial review of a case involving a police officer who wanted to go on to become a vicar in the Church of England. And so what we now have are the former officer regulations, which revoked that Regulation 10A and allow for officers to resign and retire, but have ensured that they can still be disciplined. Okay, but who would they apply to and in in what circumstances could former officers be investigated? Well, they apply to officers who have resigned or retired after the 15th of December of 2017. So that's the sort of key date that you need to have in mind in, in terms of the officers. If an officer retired or resigned before the 15th of December of 2017, they cannot be the subject of disciplinary proceedings. If they've resigned or retired after the 15th of December of 2017, then potentially they could be the subject of disciplinary proceedings. I say potentially because the former officer regulations themselves only made amendments to the 2012 conduct regime. So they only relate to misconduct that came to the attention of the appropriate authority after the 22nd of November of 2012. That is, of course, a long time ago. Yes. And the vast, vast majority of cases these days will have come to the attention of the appropriate authority after the 22nd of November of 2012. There are still some historic cases uh, knocking about. The vast majority um, will be caught. So the bottom line is, if you resigned or retired after the 15th of December 2017, these regulations are likely to apply. They apply in one of the following three conditions. Firstly, if the allegation came to the appropriate authority's attention before the officer retires or leaves the job, they can then be pursued afterwards. In other words, you can no longer cut and run. Yeah. Secondly, they apply if the allegation came to the appropriate authority's attention after you've left the force, but within 12 months of having done so then you can be pursued. And then thirdly, in what are known as the Condition C cases, if the alleged misconduct came to the attention of the appropriate authority more than 12 months after you leave the job, you can still be pursued, but only if the IOPC has made a determination that pursuing the officer would be reasonable and proportionate. The most interesting of these is obviously the Condition C cases. The first two effectively speak for themselves. The IOPC has issued a statement setting out the procedure it will follow, which confirms that it will only be reasonable and proportionate to bring disciplinary proceedings against former officers who left the job more than 12 months beforehand in what they call the most serious and exceptional cases. So this is presumably aimed at instances like Hillsborough? Exactly, Hillsborough or the Janner type case, you know, those kinds of high profile, very serious allegations of, of gross misconduct, which have clearly em- embraced the, you know, the, the public's conscience and the public interest. Yes, naturally, that's going to come with the public interest. Indeed. And in fact, there are some helpful guidelines within what's, what's now part 1A of the conduct regulations of 2012, which set out you know, a significant number of factors that appropriate authorities and the IOPC in particular should consider when they're making this decision about whether to pursue someone 
even after they've been out of the job for more than 12 months. What happens though if an officer's left as a result of, for example, ill health? Well, the situation there is quite unusual because under the old regime, if a decision was made that an officer had a case to answer, the appropriate authority didn't really have a discretion about whether to proceed to a hearing or not. The officer may run arguments about whether it would amount to an abuse of process because he's too ill to attend or participate. Hmm. But there was no discretion, if you like, to draw stumps and not proceed once a case to answer decision had been made. And that's still the case under the old regime in relation to existing officers. Although with the new regulations, which are in draft format, they are going to be introducing a public interest element to that in terms of whether it's appropriate to proceed or not. But when making a decision about referring a former officer to a misconduct hearing, the appropriate authority shall not do so if it is satisfied that the officer concerned is unfit for disciplinary proceedings by reason of disability or ill health. So at the point in time when they're making a decision in relation to referring for a misconduct process, they have to consider whether the officer is fit to participate effectively. It won't necessarily be the case, Daniel, that because someone has been retired through ill health, that they won't be fit for disciplinary proceedings. But that's a very significant factor, obviously. Let's talk about the misconduct process itself. Is it any different? Let's, for example, attendance at interview. The, the Home Office has updated its guidance on misconduct proceedings, and this provides some helpful assistance, and I'd commend anyone who's listening to this podcast to, to cast their eye over it. The expectation will be that because these investigations really only relate to cases involving potentially gross misconduct, that an interview will be required. And so an invitation will be extended to the former officer. The amendments to the regulations provide for a written notice to be served on on a former officer, pointing out, however, that if he fails to attend such an interview, it may harm his case. There's also an alternative which is brought in under what's now called Regulation 17A, which gives the investigator a discretion to serve what's going to be known as a notice of inquiry upon former officers. Essentially, a questionnaire with a list of questions which the former officer will be expected to answer. And if you fail to answer those questions, but then attend the hearing and give evidence, which you effectively could have given at the time you were being asked the questions. It is open to the panel to draw an adverse inference as a result of you having failed to answer the notice of inquiry in the first place. Right. Now, if the proceedings do take place, uh, I mean, one may question the sense of this, and I understand why it may be important to the public why proceedings can go to conclusion, but realistically, what sanction can be imposed given that former officers can't be dismissed? Well, it's a very fair comment. I mean, in short, the answer is actually fairly straightforward. The hearings, again, are only brought in relation to allegations of potentially gross misconduct. The panel can make a finding of misconduct but impose no sanction. Hmm. Where they find gross misconduct, they can either decide to take disciplinary action or not. The only form of disciplinary action they can take is to make a finding that an individual would have been dismissed if they were still serving as a police officer. Which reputationally may, of course, bother 
former officers and one can understand why they would choose to participate and defend themselves. What's the barred list and what are the consequences of being added to it? So that really follows on from what we were discussing just a moment ago in, in, in relation to the potential sanction. It's not so much the potential sanction, leaving aside the reputational damage yeah. that that would, would do. The most significant consequence potentially is this one. The College of Policing is now required to maintain two lists, the advisory list and the barred list. I'll just touch upon the advisory list first of all, and then we'll, we'll come back to, to discuss the barred list. The advisory list is, is for those officers who resign or retire during the course of the investigation or after they've left and includes information about the niche of the investigation as it's ongoing. It's not a list which is published and is really used for vetting checks in relation to potential employment opportunities. If your name appears on the advisory list, it's no bar to you still being employed within the police environment, for want of a better expression. However, at the end of a misconduct process in a former officer case, if the panel come to a conclusion that the individual would have been dismissed if they'd still been a serving officer, then the appropriate authority has to provide a report to the College of Policing within five days setting out such things as the identity of the accused, where he or she was a former officer at the time of the events, and the reasons for the relevant findings, which are to include a description of his or her conduct and when and why the officer had resigned or retired from the force beforehand. The College of Policing have a duty to publish that information it's what is known as the specified information. They have to be provided with some other information like dates of birth and so on. But that, of course, isn't the subject of publication. Mm. But as I say, it includes you know, who you are, where you worked, and the nature of the findings against you. If you find yourself on the barred list, it does effectively what it says on the tin and bars you from working within policing and certain law enforcement bodies, also the IOPC, HMIC, and so on and also prevents chief officers from entering into contracts with former officers who've had this sanction of would have been dismissed. And that can be of some significance to some former officers who go into associated or linked professions where they then try to contract with you know, former forces and indeed other forces. Yes, which is fairly common for retiring officers. And, and one a factor for a retiring officer potentially facing investigation may be funding because insurance may no longer be available and a retired officer may be left with no choice, uh, well, with the choice of self-funding it or, or not defending themselves or defending themselves in person against perhaps very specialist counsel, which is perhaps hardly fair. Not only is it not fair, but the potential for your name to end up on the barred list Five years is long enough, but it isn't just limited to five years. Five years is the period of time for which the information is publicly available on the barred list. Right. The information remains on the barred list with the College of Policing thereafter. It's not published thereafter, but it remains with the College of Policing. And of course, any self-respecting employer or contracting body, such as an appropriate authority, who's looking to engage the services of an individual will no doubt check with the College of Policing even after five years, to see whether they have been or remain on the barred list. And if you are, chances are you are not going to obtain the contract or the position of employment. 
And that, of course, has long-term implications for any individual who finds himself in this position. So all the more reason for them to ensure that there's proper engagement with the disciplinary process. So what advice would you give to a former officer if they're caught by these regulations? So there remains, as I say, a very high price to pay for those complained against. You will be investigated, save for those who are too ill or, or cannot be traced. And even if you retire or resign during the course of the process, there's the potential for proceedings to continue, for findings to be made against you, and information about you being communicated to the College of Policing, which clearly has the potential to adversely impact your future career in a police-related field, not just for the five years when the information can be published, but on request thereafter. So in short, the advice has to be as follows. Engage cooperate with the investigation, and if you think you may have any intention of working at any time in the future in a police-related field, defend yourself to the best of your ability with proper professional support. Jerry Boyle, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.